Hey, this is Ken Finn in a Capital Advantage Tutoring, and it's my job to get you to pass the SIE and all the FINRA exams. Series 7 Top Off, Series 7. Introduction to Debt Instruments. So, basic bond characteristics. First of all, so a bond is a contract between an issuer and an investor. So a bond is when you as an investor, you, Joe, Mary, Mike, Bobby, lend money to an issuer like a company, like a broker, like a bank, or a firm, or a state, or a city, or a country. That is, a, And what happens is they're going to repay you. So what they pay you every year to do this is called debt service. So my example is you lend me money. You lend me $1,000. I'm going to give you back the $1,000 in 30 years. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay you 100 bucks a year every year until I pay you back. So that's your interest. That 10 bucks or that $100 is your interest. And it's $100 out of 1,000 is 10%. So if you buy a 10% bond, you're getting 100 bucks a year and then you get your money back. If you buy a 5% bond, you're getting 50 bucks a year. 7%, 70 bucks a year. That never changes. Remember that for later chapters that it never changes. So the debt service is the amount of money I'm paying you every year. Now, in reality, bonds pay every six months. So if you have a 10% bond paying a hundred bucks a year, you're paying 50 bucks. You're getting paid 50 bucks every six months, usually on the first or the 15th of the month. That's the way they are now. So that's how an issuer can raise money by borrowing it instead of giving up equity and preferred in common, like we did in the other chapters. This is borrowing the money. I borrow the money from you. What happens is you are considered not an owner, but a creditor. So I owe you the money. You're a little higher on the food chain as far as um, as far as getting paid when we have money, but you don't get to vote or anything. So you don't have as much power, but you have more power in a way that if I go bankrupt or I'm in trouble, you get paid first, then equity may get nothing. Okay. So par value is always the thousand. It's really where it's issued. It's the principal or face value. Par value is a thousand. On a bond, on a preferred, it's a hundred. Uncommon, it's a dollar. But we're talking about bonds right now, so bonds are are born at par. They trade at a thousand dollars. That's it. Now the coupon we just talked about. The coupon is the set rate. It's a stated rate where it's a stated rate. What that's what we're paying you. So if you buy a five percent bond, it's paying fifty bucks a year per bond per thousand dollar bond. That remember, once that's set, it never changes keep that in mind once it's set it never changes okay good now okay now think of risk reward so if you have a bond that's five years so if i was going to borrow money from you five years versus 30 years right so if i was going to borrow money for five years i would pay you a certain number that's my wife if i was going to pay you if i'm going to borrow the money for 20 or 30 years then I'd have to pay you more money. So the longer term bonds have a higher coupon, this is more risk for you because I'm holding your money for a longer time, time value, inflation, all that. So I have to reward you for that by giving you a bigger coupon. Okay, so that is coupon. So now when they issue a bond, it's usually a coupon and it's a fixed rate. But what they can do is they can give a fixed rate of once it's 5%, 4%, 8%, whatever it is, it is. Now, the later chapters go deeper. I just want, we're giving introduction. Now, bonds can actually have a variable rate where say you issue 5%, you're going to get 50 bucks a year. What happens is sometimes they have other ones where it may be it's a variable rate where as rates go up or down, your bond goes up or down also. 
So if you have a 5% bond and rates in the economy are 5%, we're good. But if rates go to 7 or 8%, then your bond also changes to 7 or 8%. So it adjusts. So what it does is it makes it more attractive, okay? Because this way, as rates go up, you're going up with it. You're earning alongside it. So you're not being, you're not being inversely impacted by a rising coupon, a rising rate. Because usually if you have a 5% bond, it pays 50 bucks a year. That's not changing. So what happens is if rates go to 7 or 8 or 9%, your bond's still paying five, but everyone else is getting seven or eight. So your bond looks like shit because it's paying less. So a variable, if it goes to seven, you go to seven. If it goes to four, you go to four. So that's where that's attractive. But to be fair, since they're giving you that feature that's a better feature than just having a fixed coupon, your initial coupon is going to be lower. Okay? So that's what's going to happen. It's always about risk reward. The less risk, the less reward, more risk, more reward. So long-term bonds have higher coupon, more risk to you. Short-term bonds have lower coupons because it's lower risk. We also have another part of this is the credit rating. So the credit rating is what the company, how credit worthy they are. The higher the credit rating, AAA, AA, even B, their investment grades, so they have low coupons, lesser risk. AAA has the lowest coupon. But once you get below B to B and lower, it's speculative. And their coupon has to go higher and higher because we have to the company has to entice you to take the risk of investing in their bond. Okay. Now, the first payment is always going to be the it, basically bonds pay on the first or fifteenth. That's just a thing. Okay. Now, um, sometimes it will move differently because they need to like so. If they first when they first issue the bond, maybe they didn't issue it exactly on a six month thing. So they're going to give you what they do is they're going to give you a different coupon. Say it's January and July. Okay. Say it's a January and July bond, and they don't actually issue it till March. Well, if they pay you in July, they're only going to give you three months. So what they do is what they call a long coupon, where they actually pay you in January for nine months, from March all the way to January. That's called a long coupon. Okay? So now, another thing is called accrued interest. So accrued interest, I know this is boring, but we're just going to get through it. So accrued interest is look, if you buy a bond and it pays every January and July, that means during that time, you've been earning interest. You just get paid at the end. So what happens, and you don't have to do the math on this exam, the seven top off and the six top off maybe. But in this one, you just have to understand the concept of accrued interest. So every day that you own the bond, you're earning interest. So let's think it's a 10% bond. Say you divide the 100 bucks a year by 360. That means that's 27 cents a day. So every day that you own a 10% bond, you're earning 27 cents. Now, why did I say 360? Because a corporate or muni, they use a 360-day year, where treasuries use an actual year. So I'm assuming corporate, if I get a 10% bond, paying 100 bucks a year, divided by 360 days in a year, that's 27 cents a day. So for every day that you own the bond after the payment date, you're accruing interest. That's your interest. And whoever buys the bond from you gets the entire amount, the entire 50 bucks in July. But it's not his or hers. So they, when they buy the bond from you, they have to pay the accrued interest. So they're going to buy the bond from you and then add the interest that you've accrued since, since the last payment and add that to your payment. That's your accrued interest. Now, bonds that don't accrue interest are zero coupons. So zero coupon bonds it's kind of like if you borrow money from a friend and you said, hey, listen, give me 20 bucks. I'll give you 25 bucks, 25 in a week or two. That's a zero coupon. 
So it, so basically the zero coupon is you buy it at a price, like say seven or 800, and at maturity, you get the $1,000. So if it's a short term, like a T-bill or something like that, or commercial paper, you buy it at like $980 and you get back a thousand at the end. So you make 20 bucks. That's your interest. You get nothing during the life of it. So zero coupons are not for income. Remember that zero coupons are not for income. They're at a discount. Now, all bonds have a maturity date. So if I borrow money from you, I have a maturity date. So a maturity date is the date it pays you back your money. It's set. If you buy an 8% 2038 bond, that means it's paying you 80 bucks a year until 2038. And then you get your $1,000 back. That's a, like a term bond. So that you may see come up a thing called serial versus term. Serial, well, let's do term. Term is I issue it today and it matures in, in 30 years. That's it, okay? That's a term bond. Then we have serial where it's issued one day. And then we, we, and if you have the book, you can go with it. It issues on, say, today. Say it's April 1st. And then in 2020, what a great year. Um, maybe in 2030, 10% of the bonds mature. And then in 2031, another 10%. In 2034, so they have one issue date and multiple maturity dates. So most GOs are issued in serial format where you're getting one issue date and multiple maturity dates. So most of those bonds have to be quoted at yield to maturity, not price or yield. Because how can you compare your 12% bond, 12-year bond to an 18-year bond, other than using yield to maturity? Because yield to maturity is the yield that you're earning if you hold it to maturity. That's the way that goes. Okay. So now, why do bonds fluctuate from par? Well, we talked about it a little bit. You buy a 5% bond at a th for 1000 bucks. If interest rates are to seven, yours doesn't look as good anymore because it's still paying five. So the price will drop because it's less attractive. But the other way, and it becomes a discount bond. Another one is if you have a 5% bond and rights drop to three, yours is looking really freaking good. So people will pay more for that because it's paying 50 bucks a year when all the new bonds are only paying 30 bucks a year. So it's going to be better. So if rates drop, your bond price goes up. If rates go up, your bond price goes down. Now, I don't know if they talk about it in this chapter, but understand something that if you have a long-term bond, its price is going to be more volatile than a short-term bond. Just remember that. Long and low, baby. That's what I tell everyone. Long-term bonds move more than short-term bonds with interest rate risk. And then if you have a two bonds, one's a lower coupon than the other, the lower coupon will move more. And we will go into that if you join my, um, if you join my live. Okay, so if you join my live on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can see, I will. you can ask that question and we'll talk about it. Okay, so discount bond if rates go up, premium bond if rates go down, because it's already been issued and the rates move. Interest rate risk is the risk that if rates go up, the bond price goes down. It's that easy. Long-term bonds have the most, low coupon have the most, and then if you have two bonds that are one priced over another, the lower price will go. We talked about credit risk already, that it's basically, that's when the credit rating, eight, Credit ratings like Moody's and S&P rate the bond, and they give it a triple A, double A, A. But if it's Moody's, it looks a little different. Like S&P goes big A, big A, big A, like triple A. Moody's does big A to little A's. So to continue my conversation on this beautiful sunny day, we just talked about credit ratings. So part of the credit rating stuff is that the credit ratings by Moody's and S&P are a little different. They're pretty much the same, but they're a little different. So if you have a top level company, 
that would be triple A. On Moody's, it would be A to a little A's. And on S&P, it would be two or three big A's. But let's drop down to like triple B. On S&P, it would be three big B's. On Moody's, it would be one big B and two little A's. They're the same thing. Triple B and BAA are the same. So I hope that helps a little bit. And then to get below investment grade, anything below triple B or BAA, both of those are the same thing. Anything below that, like BB or BA, are considered speculative and a little riskier. And they have a lot more problems. Like they, um, they're harder to sell because they're lower. And a lot of institutions can't buy stock that's not investment grade. So that's where that goes. Now, some other things in there. So we have call provisions. So when you buy a bond and interest rates drop, obviously the, inv the issuer doesn't want to keep paying that higher rate. So usually built into the bond is a call provision where they can buy it back. Okay, so what they can do is they can say, listen, we're going to have a schedule and we're going to say, if we buy the bond back in 10 years, we're going to buy it back at 105. If we buy it back in 15 years, we're going to buy it back at like 102. So that's the way that goes is that the longer you hold it, the lower the call price, call premium. The call premium is the amount above par. The call premium is the amount above par that they are going to call the bond from you. So they'll, they'll pay for you. So if I said 105, that leads into another question of how are bonds priced? So what happens is bonds are priced, if they're term bonds, which are one issue, one maturity date, they're priced as percentage of par. So percentage of par is, so if you buy a bond at 99, that's 99% of par, par is 1,000, 99 instead of 1,000 is 990, and that's really complicated, but it's much easier. Just remember, 99 means 990. 102 is 102%, which is really 1,020. If you see 104, that's 1,040. Now, another part of this is that corporates and munis are quoted in eighths. So if you see 104 and an eighth, that's 104 and an eighth percent. So you do 1 over 8 divided, 1 divided by 8, that's 0.125. Then you would do, you would say that would be 0.125. You would add the 104 to that. So you would have 104.125. That would be 1,041.25. Violet weight. So if you bought a bond for 99 and a quarter, like 99 and a fourth, it'd be 99, one divided by four is 0.25, 99.25, which is 992 and a half. So that's how corporates and munis are quoted in eighths. Now the reason treasures are different is because they want to screw you. So they're quoted in 30 seconds, not eighths. So if you see 99.25, that's not a quarter. That's 99 and 25, 30 seconds, which is, I think, 0.78. So you would do 25 divided by 32, whatever that is, say it's 0.78, and then add 99 to it. And then that would be 99.78. You do 99.7, 997.8. Let's do an easier one because I can't do math. Let's say I see 101. 0.04 or dash 04. Now remember, if you see a decimal or a dash, it's always a treasury. Always a treasury. If you see a decimal or a dash, it's always a treasury. So, if you see 101 dash 04, that's going to be 430 seconds. 4 divided by 32 is an eighth. There we go. That's 0.125. So it'll be 104. I think I did 104. Well, 101 
I can't, let's go back and do this. 101.04 is going to be 101 and 430 seconds. 40 30 seconds is an eighth, so it's going to be 101.125, which is really 1,011 and 25 cents. Because you do 101.25 and then move the decimal one to the right, and that's how you get the price. So if I come up with a number of 98.25, I do move the decimal to the right once, and I have 982.5. I hope that helps a little bit. Also, they have a thing called the put feature. Certain bonds have a put feature, usually the variable rates, which the later chapters cover. Variable rate bonds have rates that float, but they also have a put feature, which means you can sell it back to the issuer anytime you want at par. So then you can't lose, well, other than default, you can't lose money if you buy it at par. So there's no interest rate risk because even if the rates go up and the price goes down, you can still sell it at 1000 and then you're fine. The last thing on here is, I think if I remember in the book, convertibles. Remember, a convertible bond is just a bond that turns into common stock, okay? All it is is a bond that turns into common stock. And like if you buy one, and what you have to know for this exam, for the top off, we'll go over the numbers. But for this one, you just have to know that it converts into common, and there's a set price and a set amount. And the bond price is usually based on the stock price, because if you have something that turns into something else. Say you have a bond that turns into two shares of common. The bond price will always be worth two times what the common is worth, just like economics. So if a bond is trading at 50, if the stock is trading at 50, and you got 40 shares of it, it'll be worth two grand. If you got, if the stock was trading at $10 and they got 40 shares, the bond would be trading at 400. So the bond price on a convertible always be more volatile than regular bonds because it's based on the stock price, not the interest rates as much. So it's gonna go up and down, it's like a derivative in a way, based on the common stock. And common stock is very volatile, moves up and down. If you're watching this recently during the corona thing, you watch the stocks go crazy, all the convertibles are going up and down. The reason I like convertibles are not only do you get the interest every um, every six months, you also get the volatility and the growth of the common stock, great product. And feel free to join my join my lives every Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. The best way to do it is if you like what I'm doing and you want to get notified, hit the subscribe and the little bell button so that you know that when I put my stuff on. So we're going to start with Chapter Cinco. Okay, so Chapter 5, I'm going to do the whole thing. I'm going to do a portion and then we'll get the second. This is part one of Chapter 5. Types of debt instruments. So they're going to start with treasuries. So the treasuries <clears throat> are bonds, debt, issued by the federal government. The federal government. So they're issued by the federal government, which means they have no default because they are backed by the government who can what they, they can print their own money. So that's what treasuries are. So remember, bills, notes, bonds, trips, strips, tips, and CMBs, which I've never seen a question on. So I remember this. Bills, notes, bonds, tips, and strips. That's what I think of. Bills, notes, bonds, tips, and strips. Those are all bonds that are issued by the government, the federal government, not the state government, and they have no default risk. So we have treasury notes and treasury bonds, which are sort of the same thing. They pay a coupon. They're issued with a coupon, which means they pay you every six months. Okay. The difference is a T-note is from two to 10-year maturity, which means you buy it and you can buy it up to two years or up to 10 years. A T-bond would be anything more than 10 years. Okay. So that's it. That's really the big difference between them is that a T-note, 
is two to 10 years. A T-bond is over 10, up to 30. Again, they pay a coupon every six months. And how do we do the, how do we know what they're paying? Well, it's always based on a thousand. You can buy it in denominations of a hundred. Don't think that's testable, but that's a real world thing. Um, so if you buy a 4% treasury note or treasury bond, it means you're going to get 40 bucks a year, 4% of a thousand. If you get an 8% treasury, it's going to be $80, which is 8% of a thousand every year. But you don't get paid once a year, you get paid every six months. So they have semi-annual payments. That's T notes and T bonds. Now, the problem with these things is that since they are so safe, they have a very low coupon, safety, coupon, risk, reward. So the problem is inflation is the rising cost of goods in the economy. So these things have a, such a low coupon, they have a lot of inflation risk. So they created a thing called the TIPS, T-I-P-S, Treasury Inflation Protection Security. These are, what they do is they have a coupon, say it's a 5% coupon. If inflation goes up by 10%, well, the par value goes up by 10%. So now instead of it being 5% of 1,000, it's paying 5% of 1,100, which is $55 which equates with the inflation. So it doesn't beat inflation, but the tips are coupon paying bonds. They pay every six months for up to 30 years, par value a thousand, but they adjust the par value for inflation. So it matches inflation. So the only time you would really give someone this is if you hear them say they want a bond that has no default risk and is gonna keep pace with inflation. Because remember, since they're giving you a benefit of an inflation protection, the coupon you start with will be lower. So you have, it's a trade-off. So then they have what they call non-interest bearing. I don't like that because they do have interest. It just pays at the end. It's non-coupon. So T-bills are what they call a zero coupon. You buy it at a discount like $9.90, and at maturity, you get the 1000 That $10 is your interest, okay? So a T-bill and all zero coupons pretty much are this way. You buy them at a discount, and you get the full par value at the end, and that's your interest. The difference between where you bought it and where it matured. So, but T-bills are very short term, considering we kind of say that they're the risk-free rate of return, which means there's no default risk. Think about it. There's no default risk. There's no interest rate risk too short term. There's no inflation risk too short term. There's no reinvestment risk. You're not actually getting anything. And if you, those risks, if you want, I have a video called it's all about the risk. Go look at that one. I'll try to figure out a way to put it, a link up here in this moment. Now, the yield, the maturity on these are three months. It's one month, three months, six months, and possibly a year. They may quote it in weeks, four, 13, 26, 52 weeks. They may do it in days, 30, 90, 180, whatever, 365, okay? They normally rarely haven't issued a year one in a while, but know that that is a possibility, okay? They, again, they are a discount. They can, they're considered to be trading flat, no accrued interest, because you're not getting paid until the end. <clears throat> also, when they quote a T-bill, it is quoted in a yield. So if you buy a T-bill for $9.90, you're paying $9.90 and you're getting $10 at the end. Well, $10, well, you're getting $1,000 at the end, but you're making $10. So that $10 is considered interest. $10 out of $1,000, which is par, is 1%. So they're saying you bought it at 1%. If you bought it at 980, you're getting $20 at the end. You're getting a full thousand, but you're making 20. $20 out of a thousand is 2%. So you bought it at 2%. So T notes and T bonds are quoted as a percentage of par 101, 105, 98, which means 980 or 1001, 
but T-bills are quoted as a yield basis, which means you're buying it at the yield. They don't say you bought it at 990, you say you bought it at 1%. They don't say you bought it at 980, you say you bought it at 2%. Okay, so here they talk about what they call stripped securities. That's just a zero coupon, make it very easy. Treasury steps and <clears throat> they call CMBs if they want to talk about it. They basically are zero coupon. CMBs are for if we need money real quick. Nobody ever does them, okay? They can be a day, they can be a week, they can be you know six months, whatever. Okay, now, it's a zero coupon. Strips are up to 30-year zero coupons. It means they call them a deep discount. You may buy it at like 600 and it matures at 1,000. So that $400 is your interest, but you're not getting it right away. You're getting it in the next 30 years. So that's where that is. So we have zero coupons, <clears throat> but there are T-bills, strips, and CMBs. CMBs, I don't care about. T-bills are short-term, like a money market. Strips are long-term, up to 30 years. A lot of times they like to buy them for college savings or what they call target-based investing. Target-based investing, meaning that it's, um, I'm putting in money now. And I have a target, say I need five grand in five years. I'll buy a $5,000 face amount strip right now to, um, well, buy a $5,000 strip right now, but I only have to pay like 3,500 or four grand for it. But knowing that in five years when it matures, I'm getting the five grand. So a lot of times they like to say it's for college. I disagree. I think inflation will kill you. But if you see college savings strips are a choice because say you know your college is gonna be 10 grand, haha, in 20 years, you could buy like maybe $10,000 strips for like 600 bucks and knowing that they'll be worth 10 grand at the end. Okay. Now, <clears throat> okay, so the auction, just understand this is what you need to know. In the treasuries, they do an auction, okay? I, nobody's ever gonna test you on the on the frequency of these things, but here it is on page, on the, in the chapter five, they have the frequency. But understand, the shorter the bond, the more often they do it. So the T-bills are normally every week, at worst, every four weeks, the notes and bonds are done either monthly or quarterly. You don't need to know that shit, okay? You, um, no, you don't need to know that. So as far as you need to know on this is that they're done by auction, which means that the, <clears throat> the treasury will put out an auction and people put in their bids and that determines, you know, the coupon. So there's a thing called competitive versus non-competitive. So a competitive bid is usually anything over $5 million, and it's done by the bankers, the banks, and the mutual funds, and, and primary dealers, really. And what they're doing is they're putting in a bid that they're willing to accept. So if I'm going to issue a bond, and I don't know the coupon yet, I will look at all the bids, and I will start with the lowest bid and take in. I don't even explain it the best way because it's more of a Dutch auction. It's not really necessary to know. But what they're going to do is they're going to come in and start with the lowest coupon that everyone's willing to get, and then they take those. And then the next, they go the next. All they they work all the way up until they until they sell all their bonds. So those are competitive. And the thing is, if I say four percent, I'm Goldman, and I want bonds at four percent, and you're J.P. Morgan, and you want one at five percent. If I if the issuer starts at the bottom and fills all the bonds from one percent, two percent, three percent up to four percent, you are too greedy. You don't get bonds. I do. But remember, anyone who puts in a bid who gets accepted gets 4%. So they're getting a 4% bond. Those are competitive. Non-competitive is what actually you, me as individuals will go on a website, type in, I want you know $5,000 worth of treasury bonds, and I don't put in a coupon. I just say I want them. So non-competitive means I don't care. It's like a market order, I guess. 
I don't care about the coupon. I just want a bond. So I will, I'm willing to accept whatever bond, whatever coupon they go with. So that's competitive versus non-competitive. Okay. Agency securities are kind of, they're, they're, they kind of are issued by the federal agencies and stuff like that. So I kind of lump them together, but understand there's only one that's backed by the government and hopefully we'll get to that. I'm going through the book as we do it. So I'm being surprised too. So treasuries and agencies are not the same thing. Direct obligation of the federal government are the bills, notes, bonds, tips, and strips. The agencies are kind of like, they're kind of, they serve a purpose, like the mortgages or something like that. Okay. So the first, so you might see the word GSE, government sponsored entities, enterprises. These are basically, um, they're privately owned companies, but the, um, the government allows them, they're basically providing low cost loans for like farmers and stuff like that. And some people who buy homes, federal home loan, federal farm credit bank. I have such a mental block with those things and still I do well on the exam. So I'm not worried about it. Federal farm credit is do, it basically provides funding for farmers. And then the federal home loan stuff is to help like people who need, um, it's so savings and loans can get money so they can lend money out for, um, Houses. Okay. So now mortgage-backed securities. I may delete that whole thing. So mortgage-backed securities are done by the agencies like Ginnie Mae, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, stuff like that. Okay. Now they are what they call pass-through securities. Pass-through securities means that if you have a mortgage, you buy a house, you buy a mortgage, you're paying the bank every month. They The bank actually doesn't hold on to the mortgage. What they do is they sell the loan to someone else who then buys the income stream. So what happens is I, I pay, buy my, you buy your house, you're paying $1,000 a month to the bank. The bank sells that loan to someone else who now has the, your loan. So you're paying the bank, but it's really going to that other person. They used to, have, used to have to switch it every time. Now, usually there's a processor like an Aquin where you pay them and then it, then it gets spread out to whoever actually bought the loan. So if you sell the loan, it'll, if somebody sells the loan, it'll still go through Aquin, say, but Aquin will just pay someone else. And then if they sell it, it'll, they'll pay someone else. But a pass-through certificate means if an investor comes in and buys this loan, the income that, you're, that the mortgage holder is paying in passes through all the entities right to the investor. That's what it means by pass-through, okay? Now, so the homeowner, has the, the principal and interest they pay to the bank who goes into a pool of interest. And then we have an investor. I have a whole thing on this somewhere. But the investor on the other side buys into this pool of mortgages. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Bank, I am a mortgage pooler. So I'm going to buy a bunch of mortgages from Bank America, from Credit Suisse, from Wells Fargo, all of them. And I package them together. Okay, I package the mortgages together and I now I'm getting that. So all the people making their mortgage payments, I'm getting the money, but I don't want to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell pieces of that pool to other investors. So what happens is if you buy into this and you invest in this, you're going to buy a little piece of a bunch of different mortgages. So all these people paying in, you're going to get a little piece of it. And then I bring in a bunch of investors. So you technically say there's 500 mortgages in the pool. You may own like 50 cents of each mortgage as an investor. So every time somebody makes a payment, you'll get 50 cents from all the different people. It comes as one check. It's just 
easier to think of that way. Now, the problem with this is that if people prepay and refinance the mortgage, they're paying it off. So instead of you having 500 mortgages, you now have 499. That's really a conversation for the Series 7, but understand how this works, that basically as a mortgage-backed security, people are paying the mortgages, it goes to the pool, and then it gets flowed right to you through. That's the pass-through. It passes right through the entities into your pockets. But remember, you're investing and you're actually owning a piece of like 500 different mortgages. Okay. Now, Freddie Mac is a federal home loan. Fannie Mae is the federal national. Those two are not backed by the government. They basically buy mortgages that are conforming, but somewhere there's something, either they're FHA loans or they're veterans administration loans, but, but they're never really big loans, okay? They're not like $800 you know, million or $2 million loans. They're all what they call conforming loans, and they are not. But the thing is, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are not backed by the government, which means if the homeowner defaults, they sell the house, and they try to pay off the investors. If there's still money owed, then the agencies, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, will try to help and pay off the investor. If they don't have that, they're out of luck. Then we have the Ginny May, which is G, think G for government. Ginny May is GNMA, Government National Mortgage Association, is backed by the government. That means the difference here is that they only buy specific FHA or VA, VA loans, veteran, administra uh, veteran administration loans, which are in, those are turned back by the government. So here's what happens. If somebody who gets out of the Army under the GI Bill gets to buy a house and he, and he doesn't make the mortgage payments and they default. They will sell the house. If there's money owed, then Ginny Mae will come pay. And if this Ginny Mae doesn't have enough money, then the federal government will pay. So the investor has no default risk on this, okay? Because the government ultimately backs it. So Fannie and Freddie have some default risk, so they have a higher coupon. Ginny Mae has no default risk, so they have a lower coupon. Now, the risk here is on, a, on an easy government-backed or even any mortgage-backed security. The risk is that the homeowner is going to refinance the mortgage, which means if they say you have a mortgage with Bank America and all of a sudden interest rates drop, you want to go, oh, I want that better rate. You will go to another bank maybe and borrow the money at a lower rate and then they will pay off your old mortgage. That's prepayment risk. So now the owner of this, the investor who is getting these monthly payments now has one less mortgage because you paid yours off. That's your prepayment risk. Prepayment risk is if interest rates drop, homeowners or the mortgage holder is going to refinance and pay the bond off, which means you as the investor are now not making that money. You just have a chunk of money, but you're not getting income and income off of anymore, which means then you're going to take that money and try to reinvest it in more mortgage-backed securities. Ah, but interest rates are lower, so you're making less money. Okay. Muni bonds. Muni bonds are bonds issued by states, territories, possessions, stuff like that. Any any town, state, board of direct, board of director. I say that every time. Board of education, territories, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, Guam, Samoa, stuff like that. They have some default risk because they're not backed by the government. Remember that. Treasuries have no default risk. Ginny Mays have no default risk. That's kind of it. Muni bonds have some default risk. So the reason states issue muni bonds is to raise money to cover their services and stuff they do so the two types of muni bonds 
or geos and revenues. But I'm going to go back for one second. Why do I buy a muni versus a corporate? Well, here's the magic of this. Treasuries, their interest is taxable on the federal level, but not the state. Munis, the interest, interest, not the principal, the interest that you get every six months is not federally taxable, but it is state tax. Unless, of course, you buy it in your own state and then you don't pay any taxes. So if you buy a muni in your own state, you pay no federal and most likely not even state tax. So it's tax-free. So rich people buy munis, poor people buy corporates. Now, different types of munis, back to this, a GO is for stuff that is free to use, like your high school, public high school, libraries, the regular roads, the parks, they're free. So there's no money coming in to maintain them. So they issue a geo bond to build it and pay for it. And then they use taxes, property taxes. To pay for it.